first 90 days was like, gee, I wish I'd read that book. You know, like just even visualizing what I'm going to do to be successful and anticipate all of those those pitfalls has is now a very powerful thing. It seems like a no-brainer, common-sense thing, but it is actually not. Because in your mind, it's like you think you know what you're going to do until, as Mike Tyson said, you get punched in the mouth. Welcome to Career Paths with Teal. I'm your host, Dave Fano. In this episode, we hear from a good friend of mine, colleague, and mentor, Craig Robinson. Craig has an inspiring story of starting off in technology consulting and then making the huge transition into real estate. He's had multiple executive positions, two of which were as division CEO of publicly traded companies. I met Craig when I was lucky enough to recruit him to be the global head of power by we at WeWork. Craig shares insights and tools on how to manage your career through transitions and growth. We spoke about pivoting and how to pivot to the right thing. From knowing you for as long as I have, and from you even already mentioning it a couple of times, it seems like that the folks that we've noticed that have had, I don't know, success is a word I'm reluctant to use, but have enjoyed their careers. Mentorship is a word that keeps coming up. And I don't think getting mentors happens by accident. Yep. So what advice would you have on like identifying mentors, building those relationships? How explicit is it? Is it like, you know, asking someone to be your partner in high school? It's like, will you be my girlfriend or boyfriend? You know, like, you know, what is, what is that exchange like? Because I think you've been very successful finding champions and, and, and nurturing those relationships. That's a great question. So first, let, let me define, at least in my own way, the difference between a sponsor and a mentor because people use them sometimes interchangeably. That's a great I think, I, I think of a sponsor is, uh, is someone who's in a room that you're not, someone who can advocate for you and has the power to put your name in the hat. That is someone who has an opportunity to put you in the game. And that's a really important role, but that's different than mentorship. Mentorship is someone who's helping you navigate the day-to-day trials and tribulations of your career. Thinking about, should I take this job or this job? How do I negotiate my package? I just got a performance review and I think something weird's happening here. How do I handle this situation? And, and so both are really, really important. One of the things that you need to be in order for someone to mentor or sponsor you is be safe. What does that mean? You know, it's much, much easier for someone to mentor and get behind someone and spend their, either their energy or their political capital on your behalf. If you're someone who follows through, you're someone who performs, you're someone who has potential. Many folks, most people don't have endless amounts of time or political capital. So they have to be very careful about who they, they really get behind. So what you want to do is be safe, be someone. And little things kind of telegraph that you're going to be safe. You follow up, you send things. You do things that are just basic. But the other thing is too, just is, is being able to perform. Uh, I, I think that mentors require two things. One, it requires you to be vulnerable. I, a lot of folks struggle with that. You know, like say, for example, I had a bad performance review and like I'm getting signals like, dude, they're going to work you out of here or you're not going to make it or you're not going to get promoted. It is, it, you know, you have to be vulnerable to kind of be able to go tell someone I'm failing, I'm struggling, I'm suffering. But everything in our body tells us, figure it out, figure it out. Particularly if you're this type A person, like I, I can figure this out. By the time you figure it out, you've already been, you, you've already kind of been washed out. And so in order to, to, to have mentors be able to be effective, you got to be vulnerable. And the other thing too, is I do think it's both proactive and, you know, kind of opportunistic. You know, the best mentors are people you develop a relationship with beyond like, will you be my mentor? You tend to like one of my mentors is someone I got to know through shared passion and interest in other things. Mentors don't have to be in your company. They can be 
at another company. They could be, you know, in another industry. And uh, so I think about it broadly in that way. And then I do think there's a, a little bit of being opportunistic. You know, if you have an opportunity, for example, I joined professional associations like Cornet and ULI, and you come across people in the industry and you build a relationship with them. Being opportunistic, you know, know that you could be talking to someone who might be, you know, a mentor or a sponsor and build those relationships. But no one wants to be, you know, hot for mentorship. People want to feel like you're genuinely interested in them and vice versa. So I try to make sure that whatever you do, it's authentic and built around things other than like, how can you help? So I think one of the things I get tripped up on with mentorship is that it's almost like it needs to be an explicit agreement. I'm not like so far I'm seeing that it's kind of not the case. It's more like in my mind, I consider this person a mentor. I don't go to them and say, Hey, will you take me on as a mentee? Like, how do you, how have you seen that? Cause I've also heard you say, look, my mentees, there's cause they also like you do a lot of mentorship. It's kind of, I think the way you, you keep the sort of karmactic system working also. How how do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I don't think there's just kind of like apprentice kind of, you know, like back in the old day, there was a person who you'd go to. And talk. I, I think, I think knowledge and wisdom and, and counsel and advice is a lot more distributed. So I think about having, one of the ways I think about it is like your own personal board of advisors or people you go to for different things. And there are also seasons in your life. There, there's some people who were, you know, really influential and very impactful when I was, you know, 27, 26, who were, were less, you know, impactful and, and, and helpful when I got into, you know, really running businesses. And so I, I think it's, it's one, you're right. They can be very much distributed into like, this person has great insights around this thing that I'm dealing with right now. And I have permission to go ask them for their permission, you know, for their help. But there's not an ongoing structural social contract where they, we have to check in once a Sunday. Some people do that. That's just not much been, been the way I approach it. It's been very much kind of contextual, you know, kind of there's a season to it. But I think like you, you and I tend to be, people who develop friendships more, you know, kind of authentically. And we develop friendships with people who are not only great people to know and, and to be friend, but they also are people we learn from and we grow from. And so that has been, to me, a, a more consistent and sustainable way to develop what I think is a network mm-hmm. of modes of, 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 of wisdom and insight and guidance. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. One of the questions that came in in advance that I wanted to ask you about was, and you, you mentioned it also, was the transition. You wanted to do tech, you did Arthur Anderson, and a lot of people say, I'm going to go back to school. You did it. I think it was positive for you, but I'd love to hear about, you know, a lot of people think, I got to go get an MBA. It's like some of the workshops I've run. So I said, they told me they won't hire me without an MBA. So I wanted to get your, your thoughts on doing that, what you get out of it. Was it a positive, negative for you? Did it yep. really help with the transition? Absolutely. I mean, listen, an MBA is not a silver bullet for, for everything, but it is a very powerful tool and resource for many people, depending on what it is that they are trying to do. And I think the most important thing is to understand what it is you're trying to do. And then the question is, what are the tools and the resources I need to get there? For me, the MBA did a few things. One, it gave me an opportunity to just repackage, remarket myself to pivot. Two, having gone to, had an undergraduate experience, went to MIT where I went deep on certain things, but was really kind of blind of a lot of the other kind of things that I felt I needed to know to kind of be successful and effective in my next chapter. And three, it took my network from, you know, kind of one ring of Saturn to like 10 rings of Saturn. And all of those things were really, really powerful for me. When you go through the B-School process, you know, the essays and the whole process is designed to try to make sure you understand as an applicant, 
Why an MBA? Why this school? Why now? And so your story has to really be able to articulate, like, I know where I'm trying to go, what my North Star is, and I understand what role this plays get me there. This is not vacation. This is not like, I'm afraid I can't get a job. So let me go scramble and go into hiding for two years. Like that's not, it's, it's too costly. It's too expensive. The opportunity cost for you to like, think of it that way. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. MBA has, uh, you know, the shelf life is forever. The network is forever. And particularly as you move further and further up in your career, some of the intangibles, the network comes super valuable. And then to be honest with you, whether I deserve it or not, sometimes people will give me the benefit of the doubt. Oh, you went to Harvard Business School. Huh. So there have been doors that are open probably just because of that. I think one of the things that's different today is that many people are entrepreneurs. They're going and they're creating companies. You're doing things. And, and in some ways, they kind of leapfrog some of the learning, the traditional learning about how to build and run businesses that take place in the classroom. They're just figuring it out on their own. So I don't think it's the exclusive path, but I still think it's an important one. One of the things that I would just say, and I have two frameworks that I use often and people who know me. So if you, if you, if you got a pencil, this is the time to get your pencil. When I think about pivoting, I, I think about a framework uh, called GEL, G-E-L. So just like imagine like uh, an equilateral triangle. At the top is G. David has to ask himself, what is it that I'm really, really, really good at? What is my God-given talent? The thing that comes easy for me, that comes hard for someone else. And although that sounds like an easy question, most people aren't honest with themselves because they want to be good at something. They want to be seen as though they're good at something. They want to be good at what's like cool and sexy. Or either they just have not been introspective enough to know what they're really good at. E is what is it that really gives me joy, passion, excites me? Um, Because that's always the fuel behind like the last mile, the extra mile, which is always the least crowded. And that's also the thing that makes people excited about you. Like I follow people who are passionate about something and people follow me because I'm passionate about something. The L is lifestyle, risk reward. You know, Dave, you're comfortable being an entrepreneur and like, I'll figure it out. Others are not. I need to be inside of a corporation. Some people, you can get on a plane three times a week and others cannot. Some people are want to create wealth and others cannot. Here's the problem. If this is not an equilateral trainer, you're going to make a mistake. If I do something that I'm good at, I enjoy, but it doesn't give me the lifestyle I want. I'm going to be disgruntled. You know, why am I doing all this work? I'm not getting paid. I do something that gives me the money I want. I am excited about it, but I'm not really good. You won't be in the top 10%. You'll get moved out. I'm good at it. It gives me the money and the lifestyle I want, but I'm not passionate. I'm going to burn out. My summer internship at Goldman Sachs was like, this is cool. This is sexy. It's sexy, but I'm not really passionate about it. And I'm just like, I'm looking at my clock like I've been here for 20 hours. Like, how do I get out of this thing? So I think when you're pivoting, make sure you pivot to the right thing. And the last framework is like PPP. Your market value is defined by three things. First P is people. Like, who do you know? Who's your network? Next P is like, like, what do you know? What processes, functions? I'm a sales and marketing person. I'm a general management. I'm a whatever. Third P is what is your product? I know real estate. I know tech, whatever it is. If you're pivoting, you can only change out one of those things at a time. Keep your network, keep your function, but change out the product. Keep the product, keep your network, but a different function. If you change more than two of those things at one time, you're going to take a step back. So oftentimes, if you're really trying to do a major pivot, you might want to do it in two steps, change out one P at a time and then the next P. So think about what your jail is, be honest about it, reflect, and then make sure that as you're making these pivots, that you're being conscious of your market value, what drives your market value. And if you're trying to pivot, make sure you try to keep as much of that carried forward with you as possible. Those are awesome. I got the, the three P indirectly from someone. And so it was great to hear it direct from the source. Because it's really, really good. 
I think it makes a ton of sense. And some people try to change all three at the same time. And then it's just really overwhelming and you feel like the world's kind of crashing on you. And you know, one of the sayings we have at Teal is companies want to hire you for what you did, not what you want to do. And so that's one way to do it. If you just change one of the P's, at least you can still package yourself as being able to take advantage of stuff you've done. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm super happy that you you share these things, and I'm it's it's fun watching you get more and more vocal uh, <laughs> and start to push these things. What would you say is like some of the best advice uh, you got over your career, or or another way to? I mean, there's that one, and then like, what is something you wish you knew then that you know now, or what did you have told yourself ten years ago that you know now? There there was this class my first year of business school called leadership, and it was an organizational behavior, and for people who are into like you know, kind of techies and quant people and blah, blah, blah. It was a soft class. It was like influence and like managing up and managing that. And, and, and to say like, I crushed that class, like no one would give you like, a, like, but what I could have never appreciated, Dave, it's like your first few years out of college, you know, it's about your technical competence. And for the most part, either you will demonstrate you have that or not. But once you get to a certain point where you have the ability to kind of manage or influence teams and move up, I could have never imagined how important the softer things. And even to this day, I, I will run into an executive, run into people who still struggle with some of those things. You know, how do you build, you know, relationships, managing being in conscious of your sphere of influence, you know, not just managing up, but managing laterally, managing down. Most organizations are political. Humans are political. Great book. I know you read books. Amy Chua political tribes, just create just the way humans kind of like, you know, you know, kind of organize. And the more sensitive we are about some of those softer aspects of, you know, managing ourselves and managing our relationships, the, the more impactful, the best CEOs were ones whose envision inspired us and they were able to compel people. And that's, there's not a class that teaches you how to do that, really. So I could have never imagined just how important some of those things would be to, once you kind of prove that you're competent, then really that from that point on is whether or not people want to support you. They want to get behind you. They want to align with you. And that's a totally different set of skill sets that I think people underweight um, in their careers. So like the, the human dynamics and the sort of people management skills. Human dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Was there ever a time that you felt like you wanted to give up? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, I, do I feel like, oh my God, like uh, <laughs> no, you don't get past that. Listen, I, I've, I've had some moments where first and foremost, they're just moments where you just doubt yourself. Uh, there are moments where you're like, can I do it? And, and some of that is something you'll be wrestling with your entire life. The imposter syndrome, like, you know, am I really who I think I am? Um, am I really who people think I am? And, and, and so I think that's one dynamic. The other dynamic is no, no matter who you are, but particularly my experience, I've had people who were outright like hostile to, to, to me in my career. And there were moments where I thought like, I just, I, I don't know that I have enough fight in me to show up every day and fight this battle. When I was first, when he first announced that I was going to be the head of the U.S. region, Bakayers, there was a really, really, really senior broker, maybe one of the you know, top people there, who I heard had said to the rest of the leadership team, you got a black guy for this? Like, really? That is that what we got? Like, like almost like I'm disappointed. And I had to like know that this was how people were thinking about me. And that's tough to like get up in the morning, go look at people in their eyes when you know they have a certain feeling about you. And just to like the, to push through that. Like the job is hard enough, 
but then to like push through some of that kind of stuff. So, and, and there, and there just been times where I just felt like, you know what, let, let me just opt out of the game. And like, I, I just don't feel like fighting it every day. I'm so glad I didn't give in to those moments and times. And that's when you've got your board of advisors, this year, Cheer squad, people who are like, dude, keep pushing through this. And I'm so, so glad. One, just because I would have missed some just great experiences. But two, now I'm in an opportunity to help other people get through those same moments. And that gives me a lot of joy and a lot of empathy because it's anybody who's like, you know, it's all easy and you're never going to have moments where, you know, it's they're lying or they're delusional. So, you know, yeah, I do. And I probably will sometime this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, What about how you, I mean, one thing I, I've seen you do well, again, is kind of knowing these outlets that you have. And like, I feel like you've got passion and intention. And you're kind of like not doing things by accident. Do some of those things help you? Like you just kind of like decompress and un, unplug or like what tools have you had to, to do some of that stuff? Oh, good, good question. Yeah. Right. The first time I got like a real big job and you're like so nervous, you're going to fail. Like you just feed, you feed that job 20 hours a day. Like even if you're not working, you're thinking about it, you're replaying conference calls. You're, And I got to the point where I was like... I, I'm not a very tall guy. I probably look taller on the Zoom than I think you guys realize. But I gained so much weight. I was not healthy. I was always stressed. At one point, I was like taking Zoloft. I mean, like I got to the point where I was just like a hot mess inside. On the surface, everything is like the bio looks like very linear. Everything is great. Amazing. You're crushing it. But like on the inside, I was burning like twice the amount of fuel as everyone else. <laughs> And it was like taking me out. And I remember going to the doctor and saying, stuff is not trending in the right direction. You need to get your health together. And that was a wake-up call for me. And then I, I, it, it started off as a scare. But then once I started like working out every day and started trying to eat, I realized actually that I was actually more productive. I felt better. And it was just kind of real interesting feedback loop that the more I put myself first and then work at everything else second, the better I was when I got to the, the work part. That was number one. Number two, I realized that if you don't put boundaries around yourself, others won't either. So like for, for someone to say, hey, I can't start that call until after this time because I've got to be with my kids or whatever. People respect that. You know, like this is someone who's disciplined about how they manage themselves. But then the other thing too is like, I, I realized like some of my best ideas come from like, you know, going and grabbing a drink with a friend and like, you know, and so like, being knowing just how powerful like giving your body and your mind and your social self time to like activate actually makes you so much more powerful and better when you're like focused on your professional stuff so um yes and so now i'm really really deeply protective of that space and and i think it makes me better yeah that's awesome i thought you were going to give a plug to your scuba diving but oh yeah for you. <laughs> so here's a question uh, because i Again, I've had the benefit of working with you and seeing what a champion you are for, you know, sort of the non, what seemingly standard things they should be. Um, someone asked, what can women do? What, what questions can they ask during the negotiation process to ensure they get paid equitably? Listen, first and foremost, it's just sad that you even have to, 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 to ask those questions and think about that. And, but you have to know that statistically speaking, and this is fact, this is not my opinion, statistically speaking, women make less for this exact same job. Minorities make less for the same job. They're more qualified oftentimes than, you know, their equivalent. 
And so the question is, how do you have those conversations in a constructive and helpful way? And, and I do think there, there, there are ways of doing that. I, I also think it's really, really important to, in those organizations, talk to people who've, who have the benefit of, and the insight of knowing the way the company works and the way in which compensation works and, the, and all these kind of ways in which it's just hard for you to have transparency on the outside in. But being able to talk to some of the people in that organization who will be willing to be honest about, here's what you should expect. Here's typically what the ranges are for these things. And, 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 and there are people right now who will do that more so than they would in the past. But, you know, even if coming in, you know, things are more level than not, which they're typically not, it's oftentimes the, the spread gets wider as you move up because things become more subjective. And so that's when it's really, really important to have those mentors and sponsors to say, hey, you know, and, and I would, and this is also going back to being vulnerable. You know, I would ask buddies of mine and friends who were at other firms, I'm like, how did you negotiate your, your package? Here's where there's, but you have to be willing to talk about, you know, what you're, what they're saying to you. And that's not always comfortable. So I think being vulnerable, asking questions, finding people who are willing to, to kind of peel back the veneer and like give some transparency to it and understanding like, just because you feel good about what you got coming in, understanding that some of that disparity actually widens over time. When you get into things that are more difficult to like measure like equity and like, you know, uh, performance-based bonuses and that type of stuff. And even titles, to be honest with you, those can be really important. Yeah, that's great advice. Talk to people. I mean, you got to have that comfort. I think that's great advice because people feel are, most people are uncomfortable engaging in those topics so then they don't talk about it. That's the only way. Yeah. What's one lesson from a major setback or failure that you've had over the course of your career? Man, I've had a bunch of them, but I'll tell you the, 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 the big one. So when I, when I first went from kind of an individual producer contributor to having a real leadership role, I did not make the pivot in my mind that what made me successful in my last job was going to be really, really different than things that would make me successful the next one. And, you know, for a lot of my early jobs, I was great at PowerPoint. I was great at like, I was great at like, problem solving and doing things as a team member contributor. You know, I was great at sales. I was great at a lot of those things. But when I was responsible for a team of 500 people, like that's not my job. <laughs> that's not my job. My job is to build organizations, is to delegate, is to do a lot of... But one of the things I struggled with is when some of those things were not as easy or obvious or intuitive to me, I defaulted to the things I knew how to do. It was easy for me, like if things were on fire over here to go work on a deck. You know what I mean? Like if I was dealing with conflict on my team, it was easier for me to go pitch business. And, 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 and unfortunately, not quickly making that pivot was, was one of the things that almost like kind of took me out. And I would just say the, the other thing was in, in order for me to kind of realize that I was having a problem, I had to be vulnerable. I had to go to a mentor and say, here's some of the stuff I'm wrestling with, blah, 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 blah. What do you think? And it's like, well, have you had conversations with so-and-so? Have you like convened people to talk about these issues? Well, no, because I don't, you know, I'm a conflict avoider. I, you know, I, didn't, I was avoiding conflict. And as a result, I was just doing what was comfortable for me. And so um, that was something that was really powerful. The second thing is there's a book that I highly recommend people read called The First 90 Days. The first 90 days was like, gee, I wish I'd read that book. You know, like just even visualizing what I'm going to do to be successful and anticipate all of those, those pitfalls 
has is now a very powerful thing. It seems like a no-brainer common sense type thing, but it is actually not. Because in your mind, it's like you think you know what you're going to do until, as Mike Tyson said, you get punched in the mouth. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought I had a plan. So, so th- those are those were some of the things I learned. That's a good plug. The, actually, the session I'm running right after this is first is our first first 90 days group. More for me to learn to to kind of go deep on it. Read that book three times. I am. Uh, was it Michael Watkins? I think is his name. Yes. I, yep. I had him. Yeah, as he's, he's good. He's great. Awesome. Well, I this was amazing. I, I really appreciate it. You sharing this, and I, I think you talking about vulnerability. You're proving it. You're walking the talk, and some of the things you've shared with people. Uh, any any parting thoughts? You know, we've got folks that are sort of first third of their career in the midst of a transition, looking for new opportunities, maybe changing, maybe not changing. Any words of encouragement, advice? Yeah, absolutely. I, listen, one of the things you got to realize quickly is that this is a head game. You know, the minute you start doubting yourself, the minute you start questioning whether the right thing is going to come out at the other end of this, um, the minute you start pouring that negative energy into your space, um, you're you're already you're dead before the thing, the game even begins. So really practice like, you know, kind of positive visioning, channeling a lot of that nervous, anxious energy, which we all have, and it won't ever go away. So learning to deal with that and channel it. And just to kind of know whatever your belief system is, doesn't matter. Just know that, that you have a purpose and the universe has a place for you and there's a reason for you. And, and part of what you will do, not over just over the next few months or the next few weeks or even the next few years, is, is really about trying to figure out what your purpose is. And then just know that this is the journey and we're all on the journey and there's nothing perfect about it. But, you know, even more so, it's not even about the destination, it's about the journey. So also just appreciating where you are in this moment. As someone said, appreciate the gap. You're in the gap between where you were and your last job and where you're going to be. And just appreciate in this moment. But most of all, just know that you are your biggest cheerleader and feed yourself lots and lots of positive energy because you need it, you deserve it. And you're going to have to pay it out to someone else one day. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much. I uh, hope your knee gets better. Uh, some, some people maybe may have trickled in and heard us talking about it. But thanks again for the time. This was awesome. Thanks for your vulnerability. Thanks for your leadership. Personally, thanks for your friendship. And uh, we'll catch up soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Career Paths with Teal. Now it's your turn. Do you have an interesting story about your career that you'd like to share? Or would you recommend someone you'd like to hear from? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note by heading to the show notes on this episode for the link to contribute. This podcast is sponsored by Teal, and our job is to help you land a job you love. As a member, you can dive deeper into all the conversations on our show. For information on how to sign up for one of our programs, visit www.teal.com hq.com. Conversations for this show were facilitated by me, Dave Fano, and Eric Martin. Produced for us by Rainbow Creative by Matthew Jones and Ritu Jagannath. Audio editing by Hammond Chamberlain. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next one.